0: The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 5 Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's King Lear, with me, your host, Conor Hanretty. Lear's anger has been ignited by the response of his favourite daughter, Cordelia. Instead of flattery, she tried to make a salient point about how she loved her father dearly, but not Absolutely. Here, on this day where she might have expected to have a fiancé by dinner time, it feels entirely natural for her to have let the court know that there was room in her heart for a potential husband. But this strategy has blown up in her face. Lear has all but thrown her out, insisting that notoriously awful bad guys at the other side of the known world will be of more interest or even love to him than Cordelia from now on. The venom of his attack is brutal, and Kent, standing by, is moved to intervene. He tries to get a word in with good my liege, but Lear cuts him off immediately. Peace, Kent. Come not between the dragon and his wrath. I loved her most, and thought to set my rest on her kind nursery. Henson avoid my sight. So be my grave, my peace, as here I give her father's heart from her. Call France. Who stirs? Call Burgundy. Cornwall and Albany, with my two daughters' dowers, digest this third. Let pride, which she calls plainness, marry her. I do invest you jointly with my power, pre-eminence, and all the large effects that troop with majesty. Ourself, by monthly course, with reservation of an hundred knights, by you to be sustained, shall our abode make with you by due turns. Only we still retain the name and all the additions to a king. The sway, revenue, execution of the rest, beloved sons, be yours which to confirm this coronet part betwixt you rather unusually the first line here peace kent hovers alone almost outside the verse there's room for quite a malevolent pause before lear continues he warns kent not to come between the dragon and his wrath dragons were after all reputed to breathe fire and so it would certainly be wise to stand back Now Lear explains a bit. He comes right out and admits that he loves Cordelia most, or tellingly loved. It's past tense for him already. The language is clever here because we can infer two separate meanings from the rest of this line. He planned to give her the rest of the kingdom, that which had not been conferred on her sisters, and had seemingly hoped that his rest, or retirement, would be in her company her kind nursery, no less. They might even have had a little plan for this, or perhaps Lear had it in mind but never shared the idea with Cordelia. But now he's hissing with rage, snapping, hence avoid my sight. It makes a good deal of sense that this is directed at Cordelia, since he's so upset he can't bear to look at her. But I think there's an argument to be made that he's finishing his piece Kent trying to get him to stop intervening. The language here will after all be echoed in a few lines. Lear now seems to address the room. So be my grave, my peace, he says, as here I give her father's heart from her. Give seems to have a backward meaning here, since the inference is clearly that he's taking his love away from her. Since he won't be growing old in the kindness of her company, He might as well seek the peace of the grave he calls for france and burgundy to be brought in he has to ask who stirs the whole court is by now probably very nervous and afraid to move at all if anyone does exit they're very discreet because when those two men france and burgundy come in they will have been told nothing about what has just happened Lear now addresses Cornwall and Albany, the men married to, as he points out, his two daughters. He tells them they can digest the remaining third of the kingdom along with the dowers already awarded to Regan and Goneril. These awards are hardly dowries since the couples are long married already, but this language is on Lear's mind because Cordelia's portion should have been her dowry. Now Lear proclaims that pride, which Cordelia calls plainness, can marry her instead. She won't be getting anything from him, but this great vanity of hers, attempting to be so plain-speaking, will have to be enough for her. Lear now says he is investing the two men with his power, preeminence, and all the large effects that troop with majesty. Essentially, they'll have the governance and all the pomp of power, all the large effects that go with the role, and indeed the responsibility. Lear himself, he explains, shall alternate monthly between Goneril and Regan's households, with a hundred knights in his retinue. And the real sting is that these hundred knights are to be fed and housed by his daughters. It's ironic that he's announcing this directly to Cornwall and Albany, perhaps so that we in the audience can see the look on his daughters' faces when they hear what's coming their way. OURSELF BY MONTHLY COURSE, WITH RESERVATION OF AN HUNDRED NIGHTS, BY YOU TO BE SUSTAINED, SHALL OUR ABODE MAKE WITH YOU BY DUE TURNS. LEAR CONTINUES THAT HE WILL BE KEEPING THE TITLE OF KING, AND ALL THE BENEFITS THEREof, BUT THE GOVERNMENTS, POWER, TAXATION, AND MANAGEMENT OF THE KINGDOM WILL ALL BE IN THE HANDS OF ALBANY AND CORNWALL. For good measure, he now calls them Beloved Sons. These men are not his children, even though they've married his daughters. It's an extra dig at Cordelia, his sometime daughter, and certainly not Beloved any more. Only we still retain the name and all the additions to a king, the sway, revenue, execution of the rest. Beloved Sons be yours, which to confirm, this coronet part betwixt you. The line here ends with the handing over of a coronet for the men to divide. Of course, it could be dramatic for Lear to remove his own crown here and give it to his sons in law. But remember that stage direction from when they all entered. There was a specific instruction for one of the retinue to enter bearing a coronet. So perhaps this crown is on a cushion, and it's here for Cordelia once she's announced and made her proclamation of love to her father, and gets the big dowry, and then gets a husband. All of which, of course, has gone wrong. But for an even more violent moment, I think I'd have Cordelia wearing the coronet, and here Lear can snatch it from her head and break it in half as he hands it to the two other men. He's removing her from royalty altogether. However this is played, it's all too much for Kent, who again tries to interrupt this madness. Royal Lear, whom I have ever honoured as my king, loved as my father, as my master followed, as my great patron thought on in my prayers. Kent is trying to calm Lear, so he goes slowly, carefully stating his credentials. He has always honoured Lear, his king, Loved him like a father, something that Lear really seems to need to hear today. Followed him as a master, prayed for him as his great patron. All of this is flattering, cautious language, but Lear is in no mood and cuts him off. He just says, the bow is bent and drawn, make from the shaft. Lear's anger is like an arrow prepped in a bow. The bow is bent and drawn, so he's ready to fire and again he suggests that Kent stop getting in the way, make from the shaft, get out of the arrow's line of fire. But Kent persists, answering and expanding Lear's metaphor. Let it fall, rather, though the fork invade the region of my heart. Be Kent unmannerly, when Lear is mad. What wilt thou do, old man? Think'st thou that duty shall have dread to speak when power to flattery bows? To plainness honour's bound when majesty stoops to folly. Reverse thy doom, and in thy best consideration check this hideous rashness. Answer my life, my judgment. Thy youngest daughter does not love thee least, nor are those empty-hearted whose low sound reverbs no hollowness. this is rather brilliant rhetoric. Kent is answering Lear point to point. He tells Lear to drop the arrow, even if its forked head stabs him in the heart. He won't get out of the way. Kent, he says of himself in the third person, will be unmannerly when Lear is mad. Kent won't observe protocol if Lear is being crazy. And it's interesting, usually only people who are very high status or kings themselves will speak about themselves in the third person, so Lear will do it, Julius Caesar does it, and so on. This notion of Kent being unmannerly when Lear is mad, this is a line that will reverberate throughout the play. Kent is not afraid to stand up and try to speak to Lear when he seems to be losing his mind. Now comes an unmannerly, brazen question. What wilt thou do, old man? It feels very rude for Kent to call Lear an old man to his face like this in front of the court. Just a few words, indeed, after calling him Royal Lear. But he's trying to get through to him and cut through all the protocol and stop Lear from this course he seems so hell-bent upon. Kent asks if Lear really thinks that duty will cower in silence when the king is seduced by all this flattery. Thinkst thou that duty shall have dread to speak when power to flattery bows? Kent mirrors Lear's contemptuous word plainness now in Cordelia's defence. He says that honour is bound to plainness when majesty stoops to follow. When the king is behaving like a maniac, it is a duty to speak plainly and rationally. Kent now gives the king a command. He tells Lear to reverse his proclamation against Cordelia, and keep his awful rashness in check. Indeed, he could be telling him to stop this doom and hold on to the crown himself, stop all of it. Kent swears on his life that Lear's youngest daughter does not love him least. He insists that just because she's quieter than her sisters doesn't mean she doesn't love him. There's no hollowness or insincerity in her heart either to plainness honours bound when majesty stoops to folly. Reverse thy doom, and in thy best consideration check this hideous rashness. Answer my life, my judgment. Thy youngest daughter does not love thee least, nor are those empty-hearted whose low sound reverbs no hollowness. Now, Lear is listening, but he's still angry. He matches Kent's move of swearing on his life by threatening it too. He says, «Kent, on thy life, no more. Stop now, or I'll kill you. But Kent won't stop. He continues, My life I never held but as a pawn, to wage against thy enemies, nor fear to lose it, thy safety being the motive. Kent insists that he holds his life only as a humble soldier, a pawn on a chessboard, to be used in service of Lear and fight against his enemies. He's not afraid to die if Lear's safety is at stake. Again Lear snaps, out of my sight. Again Lear is shouting about sight, dismissing Kent, and Kent replies again, see better, Lear, and let me still remain the true blank of thine eye. The blank is the white centre of a target, Kent is matching Lear's metaphor of the drawn arrow and begging Lear to keep him around and look to him as a true source of counsel. He's not afraid to die for this, but he is trying very hard to help Lear think and reverse this awful decision. Kent has crossed all the lines, as has Lear, and there's something very valiant about his attempt to defend Cordelia and save Lear from this catastrophic reaction – But Lear is deaf to all suggestions, and shouts, ''Now, by Apollo!'' As if he's launching into a reaction to this overreach from Kent. It's interesting that he's swearing by Apollo. Shakespeare is locating us in a pagan, pre-Christian world. Now it's Kent's turn to interrupt, and he matches Lear's oath and deflates it. ''Now, by Apollo, king, thou swearest thy gods in vain.'' It is worth bearing in mind that Apollo, classical god of the sun, was a noted archer, and was renowned for his clear thinking and honesty. So Kent's dig is excellent. Lear has no business swearing by this god, since his current actions and the images being shared between Kent and Lear are all against several of the gods' associations. The audacity of saying this, however true it may be, enrages Lear even further. And he shouts, oh, vassal, miscreant. Vassal is a very dismissive way of calling someone a slave. Kent is not a slave. He's a high-ranking nobleman in this court. But Lear is reminding him that he's not king and has crossed the line. So he reduces him to a vassal and a miscreant, a vile wretch. The stage directions also have Lear reaching for his sword here. He's going to attack Kent physically as well as verbally but before things get any more violent, we will call a halt for this week and save what's about to happen for the next episode. Apologies that this episode has arrived very late in the day today, but it's a public holiday in Ireland tomorrow, so at least my loyal local listeners will have the whole day to tune in. Regardless of where you are in the world, I want to thank you for your company and your always interesting emails, and I will speak to you next time.